Okay, so who was here last week when we did the first part of the Great Commission? I think some people were here last week. So what we had said last week is that we feel that God is really stirring us up. When we look at our own vision, our vision is to establish a loving Bible-based kingdom community in the city of Vintuk, but also in the future throughout the nation of Namibia. We just have a lot of vision at this moment. But we spoke about Matthew 28, which is the scripture where Jesus gave the last command to the disciples. So these, this was not his last words, but it was the last command that he gave before he went back to the Father. And we spoke about this great commission, and we spoke about what does it mean for us as a church. And so maybe let's just read that together again. It's in Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Can everyone see? All right, so we spoke about this, and you can go and listen to the podcast from last week, but I'm going to do a quick recap. So Jesus calls his last meeting in Galilee, and he said to the disciples, meet me in Galilee. And it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed and made appointment with them. And when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus approached, and breaking the silence, said to them, All authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go then and make disciples. Everyone say, make disciples. Of all the nations, including Namibia. Baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold... I'm with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. So Jesus spoke this. And I'm sure all of them were just like sitting there, okay, what's going to happen now? What does that mean? And I love that the Bible actually calls it the Great Commission. Because when it speaks in the Greek, when you go and look at the Greek translation, that commission, in other words, commission is something that I give you authority and permission to go and do something. Where Jesus said, I gave you all authority. But that phrase, go and make disciples, is actually a command. The way that it was written in the Greek was that it was a command. It wasn't a great suggestion. If you have time, if you have an off weekend, you know, then go. It said, no, go and make disciples. It was a command from Jesus. And we said that that command was also for us today because it wasn't only the 11 disciples that were there. 1 Corinthians, I think 16 verse 5 says that there were another 500 people present. And then it speaks about the fact that Jesus said, I am with you until the end of the age. Well, these people were not going to live until the end of the age. So we are still not yet at the end of the age. So that includes you and me in this command of going to make disciples. But then we broke it down and we said, what is a disciple? Is there a difference between a follower? No, is there a difference between a believer of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus? It's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to follow him and to obey his teaching. So Jesus didn't send them out to make a command of just believers. And yes, we need to go on evangelism missions and we need to get people saved and get them into the kingdom of God. 
But then we need to teach them to be disciples. So our mission is much more than that. So we said, what is a disciple? The Greek word is matetio, which means to follow instructions, a learner or a pupil, or to teach or to instruct. So in other words, another you know, English word or phrase is an apprentice. If you've ever done an internship, that's what a disciple is. It's someone that attaches themselves to the teacher and then goes, let me just put this on, and then goes and lives out that teaching every day. And so we spoke about four things, and I'm just doing a quick recap for the benefit of those who went here last week so that we can dive into today's section. But we said four differences between a believer of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. Number one, a disciple counts the cost of following Jesus. When we really follow Jesus and we start putting his teachings into practice, we start to separate ourselves from the world. And in that separation of the world, there is a cost. Sometimes it will cost, well, it will actually always cost you your comfort. Sometimes it will cost money. Sometimes it will cost friendships. It will cost ways that we do life. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, die to yourself. It's not, a, um, it's not an easy calling, but it's a blessed calling. Number two, a disciple implements Jesus' teachings. Jesus said in John 8 verse 31, if you are my disciples, you will be faithful to my teachings, and then the truth will set you free. And oftentimes I feel like people quote that scripture where the truth will set you free, but that I want to abide and be faithful in the teachings. Well, then the truth won't set you free if you don't abide in the truth. Number three, disciples bear fruit in life. John 15, Jesus said, you are my disciples if you bear fruit. Amen. And number four, we said a disciple imitates Jesus and they make other disciples. So our discipleship journey, yes, it starts with us, but it doesn't end with us. And that's what we are going to be talking about today. I believe that discipleship journey, yes, it's a lifelong process. We don't now just arrive today. We're in the kingdom tomorrow. We are the disciple of Jesus. Amen. It's a lifelong process. The whole idea of the Christian faith is to become like Christ. Amen. Another word is sanctification. Another word is discipleship. It's all the same thing. It means that when I come out of the world and I'm saved and I'm born again, I now walk and choose to follow Jesus. There's only two paths. Sometimes people are like, oh, well, what other path? Ninia, there's only two paths. There's the path of the world, which is wide, okay, and broad. And there's the path of Jesus that is narrow. But it's most blessed. It leads to eternal life. It leads to a fruitful life. It leads us to a place where one day when Jesus comes back, which I don't believe is very long, that we can stand with boldness and confidence in front of him. And when he asks, what did, I, what did you do with the gifts and the talents I gave you? What contribution did you make to the kingdom? Then I can stand there and my heart's desire is that the Lord would tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's really my heart's desire, and I believe that is the Great Commission 
is that we will make disciples. Amen. I believe discipleship is a supernatural overflow of being a disciple. To be able to make disciples is a supernatural overflow. When I first become a disciple myself. So that's all beautiful, but how do we do that? Last week we spoke about our individual process of deciding I'm going to follow Jesus and make it, you know, make me a disciple. Let him make me a disciple. But now what is the next step? And, you know, we are a young church. And often I think people look at the church and they think, well, what is your discipleship program? What is your discipleship program? What courses are you doing to disciple people? And, yes, those are all beautiful. Those are good. Those are well. But if discipleship, making disciples, just rested on me and Johannes, who knows that we're not going to get very far with what we have available left in time in this world. Because God has not just called the pastors and the evangelists and the prophets to make disciples. Does everyone agree with that? God has given that mandate to all of us, to every disciple. Okay, that means you and me. We are all called to make disciples. It's not just our job spec. Our job spec is very well, Ephesians 4, that speaks about the fivefold ministry that equips the church. So our job is to equip you. It's to teach you the word of God. It's to teach you how to get into your calling, how to walk out your calling. It's to offer discipleship courses, to train people up, yes. To minister to people, to love people, to be a hub of equipping. But you are equipped to go and also do the work of the ministry. And I want to show you this scripture that I really love. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 18. Let's have a read through this. Oh, that's the wrong image. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. Okay, so when you are born again into the kingdom, you become a brand new person. You become a brand new disciple of Jesus Christ. Then it says in verse 18, but all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us in favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone say, ministry of reconciliation. That by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. Okay, so there is a ministry of reconciliation. Everyone who tells you that they only have a ministry of healing or they only have a ministry of the prophetic. No, no, no. There is one ministry. All of those gifts play a part in it. But it all comes down to one ministry of reconciliation. That's the only ministry we have. The ministry we have, every gift and talent and ability that we have collectively is for the ministry of reconciliation. The whole aim of us being here is to get people back to God. Would you agree with that this morning? That's the bottom line. We can complicate it as much as we want to and have this ministry and that ministry. Ninia. The only ministry is getting people reconciled back to the Father. That's why Jesus came. 
Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to give us back our authority that we lost because of sin. And now he says, go and make disciples. Establish the kingdom on earth. Go and reconcile people back to the Father. The sheep are lost without the shepherd. We've got a Father in heaven, and that's one of our first lessons tonight. We're going to talk about the Father heart of God. The story of the prodigal son. He's a good father. He loves us. But he wants to be reconciled. He wants us to come back into the kingdom. Amen. So point A, point one. As disciples, the ministry of reconciliation belongs to all of us. Not just a select few. Not just the pastor. Okay. The second part of the scripture. Let's read verse 19. And it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them, Woo, hallelujah, and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of the restoration to favor. And verse 20, do you have verse 20? Well, sorry. And so we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal as it were through us. God is making his appeal through us, me and you. And we as Christ's personal representatives beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor and be reconciled to God. So number one, I want to establish this foundation. The ministry of reconciliation is for all of us. No matter what gift you have, no matter whether you're called in the corporate world or whether you're called to build or plant a church or whether you're called to go to, you know, the Middle East to serve the persecuted church. It doesn't matter where God has called you. Your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. And secondly, that scripture says, Paul says that as disciples, we are Christ's ambassadors on this earth. We, not just Johannes. I think he's a pretty good ambassador, but it's not just him. It's all of us. The world is looking to Christians to see the Father, even though they don't know it. They're looking to us to see the power of God that we post on Facebook, but they want to see it in action. They want to see some, some deeds to our words. If we're professing we have this loving Father, then why are we criticizing everyone on Facebook? And I keep using Facebook as an example. I should use other platforms. But do you understand what I'm trying to say this morning? Is that we are his representatives. He, for some bizarre reason, God chose us. I don't know why. He could have just left Jesus here for, until the end of the age. But no, Jesus said, no, no, no. You go and continue the work of the ministry. I'm going to go to the Father and prepare a place for you. And he said, but I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm going to send you the helper in John 16. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. But I think the reason that sometimes the church is walking around with no power, with no love, with none of that is because they've left out the helper. <laughs> We've left the Holy Spirit somewhere along the line. And I want to say this with the most sincereness in my heart. We will never, ever be a church if that ever happens, I don't think Johannes and I want to be here. Where we don't make room for the Holy Spirit. Where we don't make room for the Helper. He's God with us on earth. Amen. Okay, so we are Christ's ambassadors. 
We need to be on a lifestyle mission constantly. Mission is not just the outreach next year where we all go to the north and we go camp and we go and have crusades every night and tell people about Jesus and then we come home and then we live our other life. No, no, no. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That word go is also translated in Greek as going. In other words, it's in my going every day. It's when I go to work. It's when I'm at pick and pay, checkers, engine, whatever stop, shop, wherever you stop and shop. Okay? It's where I'm going, where I'm walking, there I am on mission for the kingdom. We're actually always on mission. We are always on mission. The question is just, are we going to tap into Holy Spirit for the daily opportunities that are there? Or do we think it's just going to happen on a Sunday morning? And so I want to encourage us, we need to live lifestyles of mission. Sharing the message of reconciliation to the Father. We have a purpose. We have been born for a purpose. Every single gift and talent we have is for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes people think that, you know, these spiritual gifts and the redemptive gifts of Roman 12, you know, gift of encouragement, gift of leadership, is only supposed to be used in the church. And actually, no. God has called us to use it in the marketplace. Who knows? That's where we really need Jesus. We need Jesus in government. Okay? Who can say amen to that? We need Jesus in our schools. We need Jesus in our universities. And I know we know this. So I said, Johannes, I'm not saying anything new this morning. I just pray that the Lord will give us a fresh revelation of what it means to live on mission every single day. Do we get it right every day? No. But I think God is looking just for that availability. He's just looking for the heart. Okay, is Marissa going to be available today if she's in checkers? I really want to encourage the lady at till number three. But is she going to listen to my voice? Or is she going to try and rush out of the shop because she wants to get out of there quickly? That's my problem. Okay, so often we find ourselves, I don't know about you, but who sometimes struggle to live on mission every day? We can be honest. I do. Okay. Yo, donkey, Imke, can I get a witness? But why do we struggle? I believe we struggle to live a lifestyle sometimes of making disciples because, number one, we are too busy. That's the reality. God told me last year, or last year or two years ago, I did a message on being busy. And I felt like the Lord really spoke to me. I was so convicted. Because I think sometimes when we live our lives in this season and in this age with social media and with, you know, both parents are working, we can't afford not to just have one working and one not working. We all live in this place of life is expensive. So we're constantly on the go. We have to work. We have to produce. We have to do this. We have to do that. But then I find sometimes we are so busy that we don't have time for the Lord. We don't have time to make disciples. We don't have time to invest into other people. Oftentimes when we have this conversation, people are like, well, I don't have time to have coffee every week. That's the pastor's job. Yeah? I don't have time to sit and have coffee with five people to, to disciple five other people. But, okay, then what are we investing our time in? 
if that is our mission, what other missions are we investing our time in? This rat race lifestyle, I think, is such a trap of the enemy to keep us occupied with different things other than the actual mission we're supposed to be occupied in. And again, if you make it part of your lifestyle, then it's not like you have to have a side ministry. It's part of your life. It's part of your everyday going. You know, when you go and drop your kids at school, there's another mom who's not coping. Maybe she needs a word of encouragement this morning. Maybe she needs an invite to the next Bible study group or whatever. You know, there's a hundred examples we can use. There's a study that they did a few years ago in the USA among Christians in the church. And the study revealed that six out of ten Christians admitted, six out of ten, that's 60% of Christians, they interviewed hundreds of people of hundreds of churches across America who admitted that they were too busy for quiet time with the Lord. To me, that's a huge problem. If we have Christians, disciples, who are not hearing the voice of God because they don't have time, then what are they doing? If we don't hear the voice of God, we are not on mission. We are not busy with what God has called us with. We need to be hearing His voice every day. Amen? And I really believe for some people, it, time is a real challenge. But Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. My burden is light. And I think sometimes it's really good to take stock of our lives. Maybe as this year closes, everyone's had a really hectic year. I think everyone just wants this year to be over. But before this year is over, maybe take stock of our lives and see, gosh, what am I busy with, Lord? Is all of this for the purpose of your kingdom? And are there ways that I can structure more spiritual rhythms into my life and make certain things more priority? Maybe it will bring certain changes in my life that I've been praying for and God's just waiting on us to get quiet. Amen. The second thing I believe we struggle with is fear. I believe sometimes we struggle with fear that we don't know how to share our faith. We don't know how to share our faith with maybe someone that we know is completely opposed to the gospel or we fear their rejection. I remember I, this was huge for me because I was so excited about my faith. I was like out of my skin, excited. No one ever told me that I could be born again into the kingdom. No one told me about the Holy Spirit. I was besides myself and I obviously wanted to tell the whole world. And I remember starting to witness with my family. <laughs> it was a complete disaster. Okay. <laughs> my dad didn't believe anything I said. And then I found out he actually didn't believe anything that the Bible said. I was devastated. And so I remember feeling like just wanting to shrink back because that was the first response towards me sharing the gospel and sharing my faith. And I thought, okay, everyone is going to react that way. Because clearly everyone didn't know what I thought I knew, what I had just learned. And I really believe God wants to instill a new boldness in us today. You don't have to go and pick and pie and grab the microphone and now start shouting the gospel. Although if you want to, we will totally film it and be there with you to support you. But you know, God will... <laughs> Everyone's like... Mm. But God will give us opportunities to share our faith and to share it in ways that will best be received by the person that we are in relationship with. Sometimes he will lead us first to build relationship. 
Sometimes we need to first earn the right to speak into someone's life. It's not always as easy as an outreach in Malawi where we just go preach the gospel and 100 people come running towards the altar. In our secular Western world, it's very different. But I remember the first time I was really struck down by fear and fear really held me back from sharing the gospel and from, you know, sharing my faith with people. And I remember I just always felt like I didn't know enough scripture. I thought, well, if I knew more scripture... I could really impress people with my knowledge because I was scared someone might actually quote scripture back to me and ask me to explain it to them. And I thought, yeah, I can't, I don't know the Bible yet, so I cannot explain to you. And then the Lord really dealt with my heart because I, I came to a church where we did regular outreaches. Evangelism was a real big focus. And it sounded like a great and easy idea until I got to the first night training and they said, okay, we are going to go to Long Street, Cape Town. Who knows Long Street, Cape Town? Okay. It's not really the most receptive to the gospel on a Friday night at 10 o'clock. Okay? It's a place where everyone goes drinking, clubbing, drugging. You know, it's chaos. And so now you want to go and you want to tell people about Jesus on a Friday night at 10 o'clock. No one wants to know. And so suddenly I got really scared because you would have the briefing 10 minutes before you would all leave in cars and you'd all go to Long Street now on this evangelism mission. And I remember the, the outreach pastor said to us, what is, this, what is the one scripture you will tell someone if you're trying to explain to them how to get saved? And I got such a fright that I didn't actually remember one scripture that spoke about how I can get saved. I thought, oh my gosh, I am not ready to share the gospel. Like, what am I actually even going to say? He asked us a few other questions, and I realized, okay, maybe there is actually some validness in preparing myself to share the gospel. Sometimes it's as easy as that. You take John 3.16, and you just memorize one scripture for the purposes of sharing that with someone. Maybe you take Romans 10, where it explains that if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, and you declare it with your mouth, you will be saved. And I started taking a few scriptures and I actually started memorizing them. So I won't be caught off guard. If anyone asks me, I'll know. But the other thing is also what I've realized that even in that place where you feel totally unprepared, that when you get there, the Holy Spirit shows up. And I remember we, we parked right next to the mosque in Long Street there behind McDonald's. We would gather in front of McDonald's. We would pray. We'd ask, okay, Holy Spirit, help us. We go out. Okay, so now we go, and the first person, we go in groups of three or four, and the first person we got to was a Muslim man. I didn't realize that he was a Muslim man until we, until we started speaking to him. And he was like, what are you guys doing here? We see you guys every week. And we were like, no, we're just here to, you know, share the gospel and see if we can pray for people. And now you're all like, your heart is like pounding in your chest because we so fear that rejection. Now we're like, okay, Lord, we need a miracle. And we started talking to this guy, just having a conversation. And in that moment, as we were praying, I just felt the Lord impress on my heart. There's a brokenness in his heart. Something had happened in his family. It was a word of knowledge. I mean, I had no idea. I didn't know this man from a bar of soap. And when I asked him about it, he broke down. And we knew, okay, God showed up. God gave us an opportunity. There's a window of opportunity. And we started sharing the hope that we have in Jesus with him and now, whenever you, you witness to, to Muslims, you kind of expect them also to reject you immediately. So you kind of go in, 
And I remember thinking, okay, this guy is so going to bat us right now. And I started sharing him, and I said, well, you know, I'd love to tell you about Jesus. But in your heart, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, he's, he's definitely going to reject. And he, he's looking at me like this, and he says, okay. And I got such a fright that he actually wanted to hear about Jesus. I completely forgot what I wanted to say. And we ended up sharing Jesus with him, and he accepted Jesus right there in Long Street on the sidewalk. A Muslim man, just because God spoke right into his situation, and the Holy Spirit said to him, I know about your heartache. I know that your mother passed away. And it changed. Suddenly, God became real to him. And I realized, okay, Lord, fear cannot hold us back. Number three, sometimes the reason why we don't live lifestyles on mission is because we just get cold. We get cold maybe because of lots of reasons, maybe because of disappointment, maybe because we haven't seen people come into the kingdom. Now we think, oh, you know, people won't respond to me. I'm not as gifted. I'm not, you know, I don't get words of knowledge or I don't speak like that or whatever. People won't listen to me. But there's a scripture in Revelation 2 where Jesus praised the Ephesian church for their good works. And he praised them for everything that they were doing. But he said to them, this one thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. You've become lukewarm. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves in that place where we, we don't live on fire for the gospel. We're not on fire for Jesus and his kingdom. It's going to be very hard for us to live on mission when we're not on fire. And I honestly tell you, that's my life's mission. I trust the Lord every single week that he will ignite us with fire in Jesus' name. Because there's a scripture that speaks about the fervent zeal. Jesus said, as did David in the Psalms, zeal for your house, zeal for your kingdom consumes me. That Greek word for zeal means boiling hot. We spoke about it in our team meeting this morning and I said, God is going to boil the kettle today. He's going to ignite us. We need to be boiling hot on fire for the gospel. I'm not saying everyone should jump around like me, like a crazy person. But, you know, when there is a fire in your belly, when there is a fire in your spirit, nothing will stop you. You will be hungry for the spirit of God. You will be hungry to see souls come into the kingdom. And I honestly believe that's what the word revival means. Revival means I am boiling hot on the inside for the kingdom. And we're going to pray for people. It's okay if you feel lukewarm this morning. If you're in our church, you're not going to be lukewarm for long. Amen. Okay, we need to be passionate. And number four, I believe sometimes we don't live lives on mission because we think we have to be perfect. I used to also think like this. And I can tell you here, Johannes and I are standing here in front of you and we are not perfect. You'll find out soon enough. The team already knows. Okay, it's a lie from the enemy to believe or to think that we need to be perfect before we can reach others. It's actually in our weakness that Jesus says he is strong. Paul said, in my weakness, he becomes strong. I felt very weak that night in Long Street. But in my weakness, the Holy Spirit came and he ministered to that person. It wasn't anything about me that was so awesome. I was simply a willing vessel standing there in my brokenness that God could use. And it's the same this morning. It's the same with every one of us. 
even in your brokenness, God can minister. There's that scripture that speaks about the, the um, jars of clay. It's only when that jar is broken that the light can shine through. Amen? So it's okay to still have stuff that you are working through. We all have things that we are working through. I'm not talking about you now being appointed, you're really struggling with a lot of stuff, and someone appoints you as, you know, pastor of the church. I'm just talking about stepping out and ministering to people in your day-to-day life. Okay? God can use all of us, and He wants, He's just looking for availability. But how then do we move forward from that? If we struggle in some of these areas, how do we get from that place to a place where we can actually make disciples, where we can actually participate in this mission of the kingdom? Are you still good this morning? Are you just listening? Okay. Deep stuff. I feel boiling hot this morning. Number one, I believe there's three things I believe that as a church we can take a next step towards making disciples. Yes, even as a small church, we don't have a hundred discipleship groups. We don't even have small groups yet. We don't have a lot of things yet, but we have us. We are the disciples. Amen. And so number one, I believe discipleship starts in our homes. I think Johannes and I have spoken about this quite a few times. And if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry, but I think it's a good reminder this morning. I believe the church is a wonderful place for us to learn, you know, about God's word and about the teaching. And our kids' church is phenomenal. I just want to honor them again this morning. They are doing a phenomenal job downstairs to train kids up in the word of God, to hear God's voice. I'm telling you, those children are going to run this church in the future, and we are going to be astounded at the things that God is going to do through them. Because if they are already hearing God's voice at the ages of 19, 11, if they are already seeing Jesus in kids' church, they're seeing in the angelic realm. Every week when we have our volunteer meeting outside, Liana's kids get words from the Lord. And then they are accurate. And I'm like, wow. Can you imagine what's going to happen in 10 years? Can you imagine our teenage church? They're going to walk on these streets and literally people are going to run to them, begging them to pray for them to come into the kingdom. That's what I'm seeing in the spirit. But what was my point? Discipleship in the home. Okay, so I believe church is a wonderful place to reinforce that message. Okay, but if it doesn't start in our homes, where does it start? And so I really believe there's a beautiful scripture in Deuteronomy 6. I'm reading a lot of Old Testament this morning, but it's principles that we still apply. Amen. It says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, the only Lord. And verse 5. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart, and with your entire being and with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you this day shall be first in your own minds and hearts. And then you shall sharpen them so as to make them penetrate and teach And impress them diligently upon the minds and the hearts of your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Is there a verse 8 as well? Or just 7? I think it ends there. And so what the scripture is saying, the Israelites were 
received the law of Moses. And then the Lord said to them, teach the ways of the law. Teach the ways of God's word to your children. Okay? If this book is never opened up in our homes, it's going to be very hard for the church to feel it from a different place. It needs to start in the home. And, you know, not all of us grew up in a home maybe where we were taught how to teach the Word of God to our children. Where we were taught as a married couple on reading the Word together, on discipling one another, on teaching each other in the Scriptures. So I believe that's where church can really be a good guide for us. We can learn from one another. If we are disciples and we all walk together, we can learn from one another. We can learn from Chris and Aniki on how have they done in their marriage? How have they raised their children? Okay? We learn from one another. But I love that this scripture says that God's people were to meditate on his word in their hearts and minds first. And then teach it to their children. That's where discipleship starts. When you and I meditate, then we teach it to our children, and then we go out from that place. And I want to encourage you, what is the spiritual routine or plan that we've got in our homes? Maybe you've got smaller kids. That will look different than when you have teenagers, obviously. You know, when you still have kids in the house. What does it look like? Maybe an idea is to go and ask the kids' church downstairs, if you, your kids are in kids' church, Hey, what are you guys doing at the moment? They're busy with the Armor of God series. Today is week seven. And they are learning about the Armor of God. But maybe, maybe go and find out what is the memory verse for the week. Every week they get a memory verse. We've kind of gone with the same one for this series because we want to keep their focus on the Armor of God. And that God calls us to be a strong warrior in his army. So find out what the memory verse is. And go and... Teach the memory verse every night at home. Learn it together as a family. How fun is that? I think that's fun. And make Jesus part of your natural conversations, part of your going about, part of your day. I think that is just what God's heart is. He wants to be involved in every part of the day. Before the kids go to bed at night, pray with them. Talk to them about Jesus. You know what we see in the children's church? When we put on worship music, the team prays over the kids and we ask them to ask Jesus to come and show himself to them in worship. And they lie on the floor with their eyes closed and they listen and they wait for Jesus. And then you must listen to what they say. Try it at home. Put on some worship music and say, for five minutes before we go to bed, let's just worship Jesus together. It might be cray cray for the first few times you do it, but that's okay. Just keep going. And they will get so used to it. I love that in children's church, sometimes the kids would tell us, we want to sing One Way Jesus, or we want to sing this song. They know the words. The word becomes part of their hearts and their minds as they meditate. I want to encourage our husbands, dads. You are the ones that set the spiritual atmosphere in your home. You know, maybe just start with once a week. Grab your wife and say, I don't know where to start reading in the Bible, but let's just read a Bible plan. Okay, your version is fantastic. Just go and read a Bible plan together. Just start small. Just start somewhere. But I believe that it starts in our homes. And wives and women, I want to encourage us. God has impressed on my heart that we need to be women of prayer. God has given women a special mantle. Yes, men also need to pray. But God's given women a great, great mantle 
of prayer. Okay, we have such authority in the Spirit when it comes to praying over our husbands, praying over the men in our lives, praying over our children, praying over our schools. We have got a great mantle, whether you're married or not. We need to be able to start that discipleship process in our homes. And I believe it will flow from there. Number two, we need to make disciples in our church family. And so I love the scripture we read this morning, Psalm 92 verse 13. It says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. Attending church will only get you so far in your journey. I say this with the utmost respect. But when you are planted in the house, and you know, God will lead you to your spiritual house. We never want to force people, come to our church, come to our church. No, no, no. God will tell you the soil where he wants you planted in. Because there's certain ingredients in certain soils that he wants to prepare you for your mission. I remember I was part of an incredible church. I mean, all my friends, everyone I knew, I was so planted and rooted there. When God told me after eight or nine years that he was going to take me out of that soil, I literally prayed for a year to make sure I heard him correctly. Because it felt like my entire world was falling apart when I was uprooted from that community. But there was something different. When God sent me to Living Word, there was an anointing for a move of the Holy Spirit in that church. It was also in my previous church, but there was something different in that soil that God wanted me to be planted in. And Johannes was already planted in there, and then he merged us together in that soil, and we were sent out from that place. There is huge power in being planted. So number one, I really believe that we need to make a decision. Where am I going to be planted? Don't go into 2021 just, and I'm preaching to the converted this morning again. So this is really a message for anyone who's not here this morning. Where are you going to be planted? It's okay to visit churches, but don't only just visit. Be planted somewhere. That's when you're going to get rooted, grounded, and going to grow in your spiritual walk. Amen. We need to go deeper in 2021. Galatians 6 verse 10 says the following. So then, as occasion and opportunity open up to us, let us do good morally to all people, not only being useful or profitable to them, but also doing what is for, what is for their spiritual good and advantage. Okay, I love this. Be mindful to be a blessing. In other words, think about how can I be a blessing to someone, especially to those of the household of faith, those who belong to God's family with you, the believers. As we were praying this morning in our volunteer meeting, we thought, Lord, how can we be a blessing to the people coming into our church this morning? If I see Jana's tired, maybe I can just take her a coffee. Okay. This is something simple, but maybe midweek I can be a blessing to her. Okay, I love that, and I'm going to actually call it out if she doesn't mind, but Bena and Imke actually told someone wanting to attend the liberating course, we will babysit your boy so you can come and attend the course. To me, that is discipleship in the household of God. That is what discipleship looks like. We're doing life together. We're supporting one another. It doesn't help us going out to Malawi and the north and the south and the west and to the ends of the earth. But we don't look after one another. We don't disciple one another. We don't grow one another. It starts here. 
So can you see kind of that progression? First in our own lives, then in our home, then in our church family. We need to be strong inside of this house. Disciple one another. Paul talks about the fact that we have received gifts. Okay? There's different sets of gifts. We've received redemptive gifts, which are gifts and talents that you were born with. There's something you can do in your personality, in your DNA, that the person next to you cannot. Because you have been gifted to do it. Some of us are hugely intelligent for a reason. Some of us are very athletic, sporty, practical. There's something that only you can do that God has gifted you with. And then there's the spiritual gifts that we learn about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that speaks about the Holy Spirit empowers us. You know, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy, gifts of words of knowledge. Okay? And I just want to read you, it's not on the, on the board, but Romans 12 is 4 to 8. This is a beautiful illustration of how we use our gifts to serve one another, how we make disciples among one another. Romans 12 verse 4, it says, In the human body there are many parts and organs, each with a unique function, and so it is in the body of Christ. For though we are many, we've all been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we are all vitally joined to one another, with each contributing to the others. So it's not just me and Johannes that serves on a Sunday. This entire team comes together every week to serve one another as we serve each other. We are one body. God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are uniquely ours. So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift by using the proportion of faith you have to prophesy. If your grace gift is serving, then thrive in serving others well. If you have the grace gift of teaching, then be actively teaching and training others. If you have the grace gift of encouragement, then use it often to encourage others. If you have the grace gift of giving to meet the needs of others, then may you prosper in your generosity without any fanfare. I love the Passion Translation. If you have the gift of leadership, be passionate about your leadership. And if you have the gift of showing compassion, then flourish in your cheerful display of compassion. And so I want to encourage us, church, as we go into 2021, really be seeking the Lord in prayer and find out, Lord, what are my gifts? If you don't know what your gifts are, come and start serving. You'll quickly find out. Other people will find out. Your leaders will see and we will speak that over you and give opportunities as opportunities arise. I remember I had no idea what I was gifted to do. I wasn't one of those kids who really was strong in one area. I mean, my grades were okay. I did good. I passed. I got like a B average. Okay. I, you know, played sport, but I was never that number one, you know. So I had no idea what I was good in. I mean, I could hardly speak in school. I hated Mondelinger and those kind of things. But when I started serving, I started serving in cleaning the bathrooms, in packing the chairs, in doing what was ever necessary to do. I was on the sandwiches team, okay, for the homeless. I was on every team. 
just as they moved me around. And then eventually my leader said to me, actually, we want you to start in our course. Just start with a small encouragement, a word of encouragement for the team. And then they started making me speak and speak. And then I started teaching. And then it was a journey of years, but it started with being available to serve. Okay, someone once told us, one of my leaders that I, he's now running a very successful church. Let's call it a fruitful church in the UK. And he always said to me, you will never, ever graduate from the chair packing ministry. (laughs) And I'll never, ever forget that. Because you are never too amazing to serve. You are never too gifted to do whatever. Amen. And so there's lots of opportunity to come and find out what your gift is if you're not sure. And number three, I believe we need to make, as we come to a close, we need to make disciples in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, and in our city. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us opportunities. And I promise you, when you do, He will. He will bring people on your path. He will get people to start asking questions. To explain the hope and the joy and the faith that you have. Why do you believe what you believe? Bonita can then share because my God is my healer. And she can share her testimony. I want to encourage you. What is your testimony? What is your testimony? What has Jesus done for you? What has he brought you out of? There is nothing more powerful when we share our faith than sharing our testimony. Because no one can argue against that. No one can ever, ever, ever take away that I know that I know that I know what God has brought me out of. I felt like I had no purpose. No purpose. And I know, man, when Jesus gave me purpose, that changed my life. But your story might be different. And God will bring people on your path that will need to hear your story and your testimony. Because it will speak into their life. Don't worry about knowing all the scriptures. Just focus on what he's done for you. Amen. There's a scripture in Revelation that says the spirit of prophecy. Yeah? Yes? The spirit of prophecy. The spirit of what? (laughs) That's why he's the pastor. That one. Okay, but the point of, I always get it wrong. The point of that scripture is that whenever we testify, The spirit of Jesus is released. Amen. So there is a power in your testimony. One last scripture. I'm just having so much fun. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I love that. It says always be prepared to give an answer. I actually, when we did those long street outreaches, I actually started writing out my testimony. I studied public relations, so you'll know we, we were always asked to give a 30-second pitch. What's your story in 30 seconds? Okay, do it in a minute if you can. Go and do some homework this weekend. What is my testimony? What is my story? If I'm standing in front of someone now and I have to share my faith, what will I actually tell them? Always be prepared. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Amen. 
And I really believe as we bring the service to a close this morning, whenever we pray these kind of prayers, know that God is going to answer you because we're praying in His will. His will is for us to testify. His will is for us to minister to people in the ministry of reconciliation because He's entrusted us with this message as disciples. And our job is we are going to disciple the dinges uit Namibia uit. Amen. Honestly, I am boiling hot this morning again with the idea that we are going to disciple a nation. It doesn't... Yeah, there's no point in us going to everywhere else if we don't start discipling here. Amen. Why don't you stand this morning? And I'm going to pray for two groups of people. If you are here this morning, you can just close your eyes as we, as we just take a few moments with the Holy Spirit at the end of this service. If you have never actually decided to follow Jesus with everything, because sometimes we can grow up thinking that we believe in Jesus, but we've never decided to make Him Lord of our life. We've never actually decided to become a real disciple where we leave the old life behind and we walk on the narrow road with Jesus to eternal life. And I want to ask you if you're here this morning and you, you can be honest, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. If you've never, ever made that decision, I'm always, we are always going to give people an opportunity to do that because that's the most important thing is that you are reconciled to the Father. God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. He made you for a purpose and a reason. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to make that decision today, we're just going to pray with you and, and seal it off through the Holy Spirit. You can just gently raise your hand so we can see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we just all pray this prayer together? Father, I thank you that you are a loving God, that you are a loving Father, and that you've been waiting and you've been pursuing me all of my life. And today I want to come to you and I want to surrender my life. I want to repent and turn from my old life and follow you wholeheartedly. Please forgive me and fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I could hear your voice and follow you, become a disciple and make more disciples. Thank you that I am now a child of God. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and He is the only way to eternal life. Thank you, Jesus.